The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. So I'm delighted that we're joined today for the Culture Club by Mick Flannery. But before we talk to Mick, I want to play a brief clip of Baby Talk by Mick Flannery and Susan O'Neill. Baby Talk by Mick Flannery and Susan O'Neill, which I believe Mick was performed at the Cork Opera House just before the pandemic struck in March 2020. That's right, that's right. And uh, right. how long has it been since did it take before you could get to perform it again? Oh, um, I actually don't remember what the first... We could, because there was different breaks and restrictions... I can't really recall. Like we, we kind of snuck gigs into whenever we could when the restrictions eased a bit. So I would imagine it was at least a year from then. It's been released again, though, hasn't it, that rendition? And there's more orchestral recordings to come. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we did that uh, that night just before um, COVID uh, happened in Cork, and we took the recordings from that. Um, we've done another gig with the RTE Orchestra, um, and we're kind of planning a couple more in September, I think. Um, so we're going to kind of collate some recordings and maybe release them at some stage. You have been a busy man, though, during the whole lockdown, haven't you? I'm also fascinated by the uh, collection Night at the Opera, which 12 songs about chess. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was uh, that COVID had a lot to do with that as well, or at least the lockdown had a lot to do with it because... I just got obsessed with this YouTube channel called Agad Matter. He's a Croatian chess fan who um, kind of explains like uh, explains complicated games to mediocre players like myself. And um, I was just I just got this notion to to allow chess games to dictate the chord progressions of a song. So I'd I'd let um, say a nice move represent a C chord and then a pawn move represent a G or some, you know, a different variance, I would try them out and I'd let the chess chess game dictate the run of chords and see what came. So that's what that's what that project was based on. And what did come out of it? How happy were you with the outcome? I really enjoyed it because it was like a crossword puzzle in a way and it was a different way of writing. Like the I wanted to stick to it uh, kind of religiously the the code of the game say so it was difficult to uh, to first to pick the code to pick which chords to go to which pieces and what would work best um, and for songwriting it was the first time that I would ha- I would write out lyrics first before. Um, before uh, attaching a melody to them, because I kind of had to have some control over the situation. I had, a, I would have a run of chord uh, changes from the chess game, and it would ha- it'd be hard to know where to start. So I, I would write a poem about the, the famous player in, in question in the game that I was using, and then I would kind of sing the poem over the 
chord progression and see how I got on. So it was it was all around interesting to me because I had to kind of research the different players in order to kind of write these lyrics. And yeah, it was... That certainly sounds was, unique. Nobody's ever going to be accusing you of plagiarism for that idea anyway, are they? Not for me, not for me, not for the idea, but certainly for, I guess, you could always accuse me of plagiarism for style. But uh, maybe not the chess obsession. Yeah, that could be unique. And are you a better chess player as well as a result of all of this? Uh, no, uh, like I do this thing where I, I, I am addicted to chess and I play chess on my phone too often. There's these online apps that you play people around the world. And I'm, I'm addicted to playing these kind of fast games where you have two minutes to play all your moves and stuff. And it's just, it's more kind of adrenaline than actual learning because the time pressure kind of makes it a different type of game. You can actually play really badly but if you play quickly enough you'll beat your opponents so it's it's not exactly the most uh, I don't know honourable <laughs> so it's not speed dating it's speed chess did, did you play yeah. chess as a child or something that, or learn it as a child or when did you pick up the game yeah my father taught me how to play when I was young um, and I think I played on the like the primary school chess team for a while um Yes, it's a good game. I mean, I like it. I, I'm I'm okay at it. Um, I suspect it, it, you're probably being modest here if you spend that much time at it. I guess I've learned a few things over the years, but there's a, there's a kind of a level that you can reach if you devote yourself to studying uh, what are called the openings. You know, the you can you can make yourself a lot better if you spend some time um, on the kind of theory of the first ten moves. And, and the variance within those. Uh, but I just have not had the... I'm too lazy to do that. <laughs> and do you think, has it helped your songwriting now? I mean, no, you've done the album Night of the Opera using this method that you've worked out, but do you think, does it make for better songwriting? Uh, it gave me a new uh, kind of method um, that I might go back to. And it, it it threw up a couple of things that I hadn't come across before uh, because I was being dictated to with the chord runs uh, like normally when you write a song and you're trying to find the next chord you go through the, the whole gambit of available chords to find your favourite sound that will follow what, what came before but with this the chord is dictated to you must use this next chord and so I found I had to find ways of singing uh, melodies that were interesting even though the chord change wasn't interesting uh it that's a little bit uh kind of music theory technical is like you you kind of have to sing a note that's not in the chord which isn't uh common when you're when you're doing normal songwriting you tend to just stick to the the harmony that's um a kind of int- intimated by the chord or indicated by the chord when, yeah, so I so with many of with... these songs, I know you're playing at the Ivy Gardens in Dublin on the 7th of July and tickets are available from Ticketmaster.ie. Will many of the songs from Night at the Opera f- feature? I don't know. I might try one of them, but um, they're odd in a way. Like they're short. They, I don't think maybe one of them features what you would call a chorus. Um like and the subject matter, like I might have to spend two or three minutes explaining to the audience uh, 
like who Alexander Olekin is and why I'm talking about Cuba in the song, you know, like uh, it would uh, it would take more stage presence than I. Than I... <laughs> <laughs> Look, if so many people got into the Queen's Gambit on Netflix during lockdown, you might have a sympathetic audience for it. Listen, let's get into Maybe. your culture cl- club choices. And uh, we always ask every guest to tell us about the first piece of music, a single that they ever remember buying, a single if they're of the right generation. Can you remember one for us? Um, well, the f- the first thing that, like, I... The the first song that I heard that, like, had a, a huge impression on me was The Man Who Sold the World by... Uh, well, it was written by David Bowie, but it was uh, Kurt Cobain's version on the Unplugged in New York. That is a great track that you've mentioned. But I believe Picture House and Sunburst is the first song that you remember buying on cassette. That's right. That is right. Uh, um, yeah, like, I can't remember what age I was. I'd say I was 12 or something. And it was, I, it was my first stereo that I had in, all to myself in my room. And I could listen to the radio. And I think it was the fact that they were an Irish band and they were kind of new on the scene. Uh, I just found it interesting, I guess. I mean, it's 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 not exactly my taste nowadays, you know, but it's funny, like the things you listen to when you're a child that you would never listen to as an adult. But you're you going know? to have to listen to it now because we're going to play a bit of it. Good man. <laughs> sound like to you now so many years on Mick? Say again? How does it sound to you now so many years on? I mean it's so different to my personality but I mean it's just hooks like you can't you can't deny that song that song is pop gold. <laughs> okay your favourite album and you're far from the first person on Culture Club to nominate this one as well Bob Dylan and Street Legal why have you nominated that? I, I'm kind of surprised to hear that other people uh, have nominated that one, but it's cool. Um, it's like I, I think part of the reason is because there's a kind of an unfinished sound to it. It's kind of, uh, and it, indeed, I think it was unfinished. I think Bob Dylan moved on from it before the engineers were happy, and he told them to release it as it was because he was 
writing new songs and he was kind of moving on. Um, and it just gives it this very cool, like a loose uh, vibe or something. Then there's great songs on it. Like the first song is, I think, one of my favorite songs called Changing of the Guards. Um, I used to go uh, to see Ricky Lynch play in, in Cork. He, uh, he had a band with his sons and he used to play the song Senor and uh, Love in Vain as well. And I think he was my kind of first introduction to Dylan, listening to him. And I just loved the the kind of mood of those songs. You know. As it happens, the song from Street Legal we've picked out will be one of my Dylan favourites. This is Baby Stop Crying. You've been down to the bottom with a bad man, babe. But you're back where you belong. My pistol, baby Honey, I ain't tell right from wrong Baby, please stop crying Street Legal album and Mick Flannery who's with us for the Culture Club today I'm going to tell you as well that when you gave us on your list Leonard Cohen for a favourite band or artist we've had God knows how many at this stage nominating Leonard Cohen and also you said for your best gig ever at Leonard Cohen at Kilmainham Jail which again lots of guests on the Culture Club have nominated what about Leonard what is it about Leonard Cohen that you like so much? Um, I think it's his kind of it's what he writes about it kind of appeals to me, I think. Uh, the kind of internal struggle that he's constantly kind of dealing with in his lyrics, like the human condition. He's uh, <clears throat> he, I guess he's not for everybody. Some people find him um, a bit kind of morose, or maybe that's got to do with his kind of tone of voice, or maybe it's the range, like he didn't have a huge uh, singing range, maybe. But I don't know, like... Some of his songs are my favorite songs. Um, uh, he has a song called, I think it's called Moving On, on, on his uh, last album. That's one, definitely one of my favorite songs. Um, and what about the time when you saw him at Kilmainham Jail? What was so special about that performance which makes you nominated as the best gig you were ever at? Well, I think it was his, just his gentle personality came across. Um, he was very much there, uh, kind of like making a good connection with the audience, kind of looking at people, smiling at people, uh, tipping his hat. He was a complete charmer. Um, and he, I don't know, he seemed to have a good knowledge of, of Ireland and of Irish literature. He, he seemed to enjoy being in, in Dublin. Um I, I don't want to misattribute who said it to us, but I think it may have been a fellow Corkman, Theo Dorgan, who described it as being akin to being at a religious experience that particular night. I think that, I think people had that feeling, yeah. I mean, he, he had a kind of a, yeah, he had kind of a priestly vibe about him, just without the fear 
I guess. Do you know? <laughs> Without the fear, what do you mean by that? Uh, I was just, um, you know, conjuring up the image of the fearful priest who, uh, you know, give you the, the sermon about hell and damnation, whereas Cohen is... I, f- I found him much more kind of hopeful and forgiving. Consoling spiritual presence, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. All right, we need to take a break. We'll have more on the culture club. Oh, no, actually, we're going to play a bit of Leonard Cohen before we go to the break. Let's hear a little bit of him singing So Long, Marianne. Come over to the window, my little darling. I'd like to try to read your poem. I used to think I was some kind of gypsy boy Before I let you take me Leonard Cohen singing So Long Marianne Mick Flannery is with us for the Culture Club today so we're going to move off the music and we're going to talk about movies and books and podcasts and television when we come back The Last Word with Matt Cooper Today FM It all happens here Welcome back to the Culture Club here on The Last Word of Today FM. The singer Mick Flannery is with us. Uh, Mick, of course, is back in action in concerts and he is appearing at, at the Ivy Gardens in Dublin on the 7th of July. Tickets available for Ticketmaster.ie. But let's move away from the music and let's take your favourite movie. You've nominated The Big Lebowski. Uh, tell us why. Uh, I think it's just the constant crack of it. Like... Um... That's a good way I, of describing it, yeah. I like the, um, I like all of the Coen Brothers kind of movies, but I think this one is uh, my favorite. It's, it's uh, Jeff Bridges' character is, uh, I can I can only imagine him as that character, um, I, and it's just a, it's a brilliantly written uh, story. Like, and all the all the characters in it are, are brilliant. John Goodman's character, I think, must be the most quoted character in history uh, like I hear I overhear it in bars you know people uh, I can't repeat the quote in general but uh, you know it's uh, it's it was t- certainly like a strong cultural moment for people who, who, who like that movie. We have a clip from it and Jeff Bridges is not with John Goodman in this scene it's with David Huddleston What can I do for you sir? Uh, well sir it's uh, this rug I have, it really tied the room together. Uh, you told Brandt on the phone, he told me. Where do I fit in? Well, uh, they were they were looking for you, these two guys. Uh, you know, I'll they... say it again. You told Brandt on the phone, he told me. I know what happened, yes, yes. Oh, so you know that they were trying to piss on your rug. Did I urinate on your rug? You mean, did you personally come and pee on my rug? Hello! Do you speak English, sir? Paula Usted English? I'll ask you again. Did I urinate on your rug? No, like I said, woo, or peed on my rug. I just want to understand this, sir. 
Every time a rug is micturated upon in this fair city, I have to compensate the person. Come on, man. I'm not trying to scam anybody here. Uh, you know, I, I'm just... Uh, You're just looking for a handout like every other... Are you employed, Mr. Lebowski? Wait, wait, let me let me explain something to you. Um, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me, you know? Uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. Uh, Are you employed, sir? Employed? <laughs> you don't go out looking for a job dressed like that, do you? On a weekday? Is this a... What day is this? What a fantastic work of imagination that is, isn't it? Yeah, every scene is brilliant in that. Yeah, I I didn't want it to stop there. (laughs) Okay, well, let's move to television. Um, And you've picked for us The Wire. Uh, Tell us why this is your favourite TV show. Um, I think it was the first time I kind of uh, experienced the, the kind of that addictive quality of the next episode. Um, again, the characters in it are written brilliantly. Uh, it's terribly sad overall, really, the whole, uh, picture that they paint. Um, but again, I I guess it's, uh, how, how well written all those characters are. Um, uh, yeah, it's, I, I find it to be one of the best, uh, one of the best series I've ever watched. Well, let's hear a clip from it. This is Michael Kenneth Williams as Omar Devon, a notorious Baltimore stick-up man. Omar! Omar coming, yo! Omar coming, yo! Omar coming, yo! Omar coming! Get out of here! Omar coming! 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 Open this door, man, for a huff and puff. Come on now, about to hear your chinny chin chin. Omar, you best roll out. We up in here with the Mac tank. Oh, I think not, Terrell. I think not. Yo, might need to think this through and stop wasting my time. Because Omar will come back tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. And I will put a bullet in all y'all behind what happened right now. You heard? There was never any sugar coating in the wire, was there, Mick? No, that character was brilliantly done as well. Uh, that poor man passed away, I think, did he? He did. He yeah. died last year. Um, died in September last year. Yeah. We should have probably, yeah. probably should have gone to books after movies because you mentioned how much you loved uh, the Coen Brothers movies, and one of their best movies as well is No Country for Old Men. But you've selected the original source material, the novel by Cormac McCarthy. Uh, as your choice of favourite book and author. Before we talk about it, let's hear a clip from uh, the audio book of No Country for All Men by Cormac McCarthy. In this clip, Luana Moss goes hunting. The rifle would shoot half-minute of angle groups, five-inch groups at 1,000 yards. The spot he'd pick to shoot from lay just below a long talus of lava scree, and it would put him well within that distance. Except that it would take the better part of an hour to get there, and the antelope were grazing away from him. 
The best he could say about any of it was that there was no wind. When he got to the foot of the talus, he raised himself slowly and looked for the antelope. They'd not moved far from where he last saw them, but the shot was still a good seven hundred yards. He studied the animals through the binoculars, in the compressed air motes and heat distortion, a low haze of shimmering dust and pollen. There was no other cover, and there wasn't going to be any other shot. He wallowed down in the scree and pulled off one boot and laid it over the rocks and lowered the forearm of the rifle down into the leather and pushed off the safety with his thumb and sighted through the scope. They stood with their heads up, all of them, looking at him. Damn, he whispered. The sun was behind him, so they couldn't very well have seen light reflect off the glass of the scope. They'd just flat seen him. Okay, that's from the audio book of No Country for All Men by Cormac McCarthy. Mick Flannery, I loved the movie, which had, of course, Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin uh, in it, Kelly MacDonald, Woody Harrelson. But I haven't read the book. Why should I read the book? There's a, there's a lot uh, more plot in the book that they couldn't fit into the movie. Uh, the characters have a bit more kind of I'm kind of reluctant to say depth because the movie is so good, but there is a lot more to that character, say Llewellyn Moss. Um, you would learn a bit more about his personality and kind of his moral compass, I guess, if you if you were to read the book. And there's a lot more on the sheriff, uh, Tommy Lee Jones's character. And there's that there's just that tone that you that that excerpt you played there. Uh, I just find that tone really like. Uh, I don't know. Um, it it kind of puts you the way he writes. It puts you right there, and he's so good at writing the conversations, and the the difference between each character. I like. I I've tried to to do that type of writing before for different kind of projects, to write the dialogue in in the way that he might kind of portray a character to you. It's I find it so difficult, so I just think it's really impressive the way he does it. Let's move on to podcasts. And again, you've chosen something a lot of people have nominated, the Blind Boy podcast. So before we talk about why you've picked it, I'm going to play one recent episode, a clip from it, in which Blind Boy talks about being recently diagnosed with autism and how being autistic affected him growing up. And I want to give a language warning in this, that there may be language in this that some people might find offensive. Things like adhering to deadlines, planning things out, being on time for appointments, that requires quite a good deal of effort for me. I do it, but it requires a good deal of effort. I would have had difficulty around inhibition, so I would behave in ways that would be inappropriate. The kind of basic skills that you learn to function independently in society, these things for me were difficult. And when you're in school, put all that shit together and on the outside it looks like a very disruptive, misbehaved bald child but the other thing with my autism is I frequently experience what's called hyper focus so I don't need to tell you this you listen to this podcast, I've made a fucking career out of it, I'm non-stop all the time thinking about ideas art, creativity, music history Whatever the fuck it is, 90% of my day is spent focusing intensely.
intensely on the thing that interests me most at that moment. McFannery, why do you like the Blind Boy podcast? Um, well, he's done a, he's done like a huge range of uh, of subject matter, in, and like as he says, like he definitely kind of gets into it, researches it, and he pulls out uh, lovely connections between things in the past and the present. Um, he's like constantly artistic in the way he approaches things. Uh, I guess I find him to be kind of like, I don't know, like I'd say that he's a kind of a national treasure. Um, um, I, that episode that you played, I listened to that episode when it came out and some of the stories made me feel very sorry for him. Uh, some of the things that could have been avoided, you know, had uh, people known, uh, about kind of the the nature of his of his brain, you know. Um, so I felt very sorry for him, but uh, hopefully he'll. I mean, he seems to be a kind of resilient man, <clears throat> um, and the way he helps other people who may well need to build up some resilience that that he has when it comes to mental health. You know, he he talks openly about his own issues, and he talks he he, he educates people, myself included about uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and different aspects of psychology um, and always with the humility that he's not the that he isn't the be-all and end-all or the or the professional in these regard but he's just introducing people who maybe had no idea before about certain like subjects or aspects of mental health that you know he, he he's an eye-opener um yeah, he's brilliantly creative. I, I I love his writings as well. I love his books. Uh, yeah, he's he's um, he's he's brilliant in a lot of different artistic disciplines. I guess you could call it. Well, that's a positive note on which to finish. Mick Flannery, thank you so much for joining us on the Culture Club here today on the Last Word in Today FM. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.